0: Before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to share with you that I created a brand new free prenatal pelvic floor resource for you. It's a free ebook with three common misconceptions when it comes to preparing your pelvic floor for birth and includes three tips of what to do instead. If you're pregnant or know someone who is, this resource is key for preparing for birth. The tips I share are what I teach and have worked through with hundreds of prenatal physiotherapy clients and I use myself with both of my pregnancies. Also, a bonus is that two of these tips will also give you a head start on your postpartum recovery by understanding how to connect to your pelvic floor before you even give birth. You can go to the link in the show notes for this episode at twobirthandbeyond.com or to my website, holistichealthphysio.com, to download your free ebook today. So welcome back to another episode of the Two Birth and Beyond podcast. It's Anita here. And today I'm so excited to have a special guest on the podcast, Liesl Teen, who's a labor and delivery nurse. (laughs) And if you're on Instagram, you may know her as Mommy Labor Nurse, which is how I met her. Um, (laughs) So thank you for being on, Liesl.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me so much, Anita. I'm glad to be here. (laughs)
0: So for listeners who don't know Liesl, I'll share a bit about her and then have her share a bit more. Um, so Liesl is a labor and delivery nurse from Raleigh, North Carolina, and she's a mom, a wife, and a business owner. She works part-time at the hospital she delivered her own son at and spends the rest of her time blogging and creating captivating Instagram comment content for her brand, Mommy Labor Nurse. She started her brand in February of 2018 as a way to educate more moms in the online space about the birth process. And after having such a fulfilling birth experience at her own hospital, she felt that she wanted to educate other moms in hopes that more women feel empowered, educated about their births instead of scared and anxious. So she has also had a passion for educating women and thoroughly enjoys spreading knowledge and awareness about birth. And if any of you have followed Lizelle on Instagram, (laughs) you will see this like, Every single day, she's posting and sharing such amazing knowledge, and I think this is so needed to hear this information from an L and D nurse. So, yeah. thank you so much for for taking that leap and putting all this content out there. Yeah, um, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, can you share even a little bit more about kind of what got you into nursing and kind of how it's been over the last few years being in that role?
1: Yeah, yeah, no. So I guess we can go back to when I first became a nurse, gosh, I have to think now, like, was it 7 years ago or 8 I think it was 7 years ago <laughs> but I kind of always one one of my aunts is a nurse um I always kind of was kind of interested in nursing but I didn't when I graduated high school I wasn't like okay this is definitely one I want to do I actually had a roommate at the time who was interested in nursing and she got me kind of interested in nursing too so it kind of just evolved from there but yeah so I went through nursing school I um had, you know, through nursing school, you have clinicals that where you go through all diff all the different types of nursing, OR nursing, med surgery nursing, emergency, you know, all of these types of nursing. So I had a clinical in labor and delivery, which was, I don't know, six or seven weeks long or something like that. And I just remember being so, so excited to go through that clinical and just, you know, see women give birth because I, you know, I was... I don't know, 20 years old, 21 years old, something like that. And had never, you know, seen anybody give birth before. I'd always been really interested in birth and pregnancy and um and babies and everything. But I just remember being so, so excited to go into these clinicals and just be around moms, like when they're actually giving birth. So I saw my first um birth, when, my first vaginal birth during one of those clinicals. And I just thought it was like literally the coolest thing I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life up until that point. So after that, I remember that day like so vividly and I was like, okay, this is definitely what I want to do. I know it might be hard to get into labor and delivery. Sometimes you have to work so, you know, kind of in med-surg or another area of nursing to kind of build up experience and then move to labor and delivery. But from that day on, I was like really set into, okay, this is going to be, this is the kind of nurse that I want to be eventually. It might take me a few more years, but like I see myself like right
0: next to this person. <laughs> That's amazing. That's yeah. so good that you knew that so early on. Oh um, yeah yeah and then, so then, just after how many years was it then that you before so, you became l and d yeah
1: so i think so I graduated nursing school in now I'm trying to think when I got married and when i i think it was two thousand thirteen, yeah, the like spring of two thousand and thirteen, and I got a job in the emergency department, actually, not at the hospital that I work at now is a different hospital in the area, and I worked there for a year, and I actually knew. Um, one of my coworkers that I, I still work with her. I kind of knew she was like a friend of a friend. So I met her at a party and she was like, oh yeah, I work at, you know, wake med and Raleigh, literally the fi- the hospital that's five minutes away from me. Like I work in, you know, labor and delivery. I've been there for 20 some years. I'm like, oh my God, like, can we be best friends? <laughs> so I just, you know, kind of picked her brain. Me still, I think I was still, yeah, I think I was, I had just gotten a job. Um, like I was just like newly fresh graduated from nursing school. And she was like, yeah, you know, here's my manager's email, you know, email her. I know that they usually want people to have at least a year of experience, but like, you, you know, here's, here's her email. So I got my manager's email. I was like really excited. I emailed her a few times and she was like, oh yeah, you know, we'd love to have you, but we do require that you have at least a year. So, you know, check back with me after you have a year of experience. So I was like, got it, no problem. So I worked my year. Um, and then, yeah, almost like to the day I was like, okay, <laughs> um, you know, I would like, you know, I'm still really, really interested in working for you. Like I'm really passionate about labor delivery, blah, blah, blah. And so I, you know, she obviously recognized my, uh, passion and (laughs) my eagerness to work for her. And she was like, oh yeah, yeah, sure. We'd love to have you come in for an interview. So it really was only a year after that. I worked in the emergency department. I got an interview there and I got hired. And that was, it was like the summer, August, August, I think. So yeah, I was a year, I was a nurse for a year and then I switched into labor and delivery. And now it's been, that was August. So it'll be like seven, no, six years in labor and delivery this August.
0: Awesome. That's yeah. so amazing. Yeah. Um, and I know we'll talk a little bit later about kind of your son's birth and yeah. kind of how you felt after that. Um, yeah. But I know with uh, with Justin and I being located here in Canada, but we have listeners across Canada, the US and beyond. And so we're so excited to have you on because a lot of people um, going in, especially to their first birth, don't fully know how a labor delivery nurse is going to play a role. And I always talk to my, my um, physio clients, it's a big role. Like (laughs) having your nurse is going to be with you um, majority of the time. And I mean, depending on shift and everything, but you're going to see them a lot more than potentially other people on your team. So I was wondering if you could share a bit about if um, someone is expecting and they get to the hospital and they first get there, what role does a labor and delivery nurse play um, once they, once they arrive at the hospital? Yeah. So that's a good question. And I think it,
1: think it's different in some areas like I'll just kind of talk about the hospital that I work in which is kind of a bigger hospital and we have a lot of different kind of units so they staff us in an area called triage um, and you'll come up to triage kind of like a mini emergency department for pregnant women so you'll come in we'll see you we'll check you in we'll take your vital signs we'll listen to baby you know on the monitor um, a big chunk of you just coming in is just us getting, uh, gathering your prenatal records and your documents. Sometimes like the hospital that I work at, it's a lot of it is electronic. So it's not like, We're taking, you know, a lot of it is already in there. We're just kind of going over your history, making sure we're not missing any key stuff. Like, oh, it says here you take this dose of medication. Is it, you know, is it okay for the continue? You're like, oh no, actually, I take double. You know, we just kind of have to do these checks and balances. So we're going through all your health history, making sure baby's okay on the monitor, um, checking your vitals. You know, you'll get there if you want to. If you have a you know, clothes or a gown you want to wear, you can wear your own gown. We have, you know, hospital gowns that you'll change into. You might, you know, need to get your blood drawn, you know, once you get admitted, um, provide a urine sample. And then it kind of depends on your provider. A lot of times the providers will then come see you after we kind of get you checked in. And that, it's usually about a, I usually say, I mean, if you're about to push a baby out, it's like a 30 second process that we're checking in, but it's usually about a 10 to 15 minute process of us like getting on the monitor, checking your vital signs, like going all over all this stuff. And then usually after that, your provider will come in and uh, do a cervical check. If, you know, if your complaint is labor and you want to see how, you know, see how dilated you are. Um, Sometimes if, you know, the providers are really busy or if it's a really, really busy day, they'll... Um, say that it's okay for us to do it. And that is a skill that, you know, we do, and we know how to do cervical checks. And we also know how to deliver babies, which is something that happen. you know, nurse deliveries happen occasionally, (laughs) just a little bit extra paperwork. But um, yeah, so we'll kind of check you in, we'll do that cervical check. Sometimes, you know, if you are not quite, it kind of depends on the hospital and the provider again. But usually we say if you, if you're complaint is labor, just purely labor. You haven't broken your water or anything. um, And you are more than four centimeters dilated, then, you know, we'll admit you and we'll get you out to the floor and get you, you know, a different nurse. Um, If you're kind of less than four centimeters, then if you're like one to two centimeters and your contractions are pretty far apart, we'll just say, okay, you know, Let's go back home. And if, because sometimes it can just be kind of false labor that goes away on its own. Sometimes it will gear up and we don't want you to come back. But we just, you know, we can't keep you at one or two centimeters dilated because some women have 24 hours before they're, you know, four centimeters dilated. So it's really in your best interest for you to go home. Sometimes if you're like teetering on the edge of like that two to three centimeter mark, we'll say, okay, why don't you hang out for a little while, like walk around the unit? do some stairs, like do some lunges, like see if you, see if you're actually in labor and you can, you know, speed things up and then we'll check, the will recheck you later and see, you know, kind of how, if you've progressed at all. So then once that's, you know, depending on, you know, what that cervical check is, um, obviously if your water's broken, we want to keep you and get you out to labor and delivery, but that's, it's just kind of triage. And then we kind of move into labor and delivery.
0: Yeah, no, I, that is, I think that's really helpful for people to hear. And I love how you brought up, cause I was going to ask about it is for people to know, I know sometimes they get to the hospital and they feel like they're far along in labor and they get checked and yeah. they're not, and it yeah. can be really frustrating to hear like, you should go home. However, yeah. it can be super helpful that you don't necessarily sure. want to be hanging out in the hospital when you're when you're not in towards that active labor side. Um yeah. so yeah, how do you find that kind of having that conversation with patients it's, coming it's in? It's tough. For some yeah. people, it's
1: it they they swallow it fine and it's totally fine. They're like, Oh yeah, no problem. I just wanted to see how far I was. Like I'm much more comfortable to go home and just like rest and labor at home. But some people come up and they're like, I'm done being pregnant. Like, <laughs> induce me then, you know what I mean? So it's and it's tough because we try, we really try. Not to just, you know, electively induce people just for convenience reasons saying, you know, oh, I'm tired of being pregnant. Like if you have a whole lot of, let's say you have, you know, symphysis pubis pain or, you know, like some kind of medical issue and you're like, I just can't, I, I can't, literally can't do this anymore because of X, Y, Z, I broke my ankle or, so, you know, something like that. And then we'll say, okay, you know, you're already Three centimeters dilated. It looks like early labor. Maybe we'll just kind of keep you here. Sometimes too, I have heard providers. Um, if you live really, really far from the hospital, and and it's like kind of a soft call. Maybe your contractions aren't quite close enough. Your, you know, your cervix isn't quite that four centimeter mark. They'll say. Okay, you know you can you can kind of stay and hang out for a little while. We'll admit you we're we're thinking that you know this is kind of leaning towards, but you're absolutely right that it's really in your best interest to go home and rest because, I mean, God knows I was in the hospital having a baby. It's it's not a comfort like you're. I'm, I was way more comfortable in my own bed with my own pillows and my own mattress and the smell of my own house and my own toilet, you know, and everything. So it's really, it's really in your best interest to stay at home. But yes, not everybody takes that um, nicely, I guess. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. It can be hard. And depending if they've had prodromal labor, so kind of that, that labor that's not necessarily. It's so tough. Oh, prodromal labor is
1: though. I feel so bad for people who come in and they say that they've been having prodromal labor forever. And side note, for prodromal labor, this is what I tell people my a good little tip in my course too. Um, if you're one that experiences prodromal labor, there is something called the mile circuit. I'm not sure if you've heard Mm -hmm. of that, but it's called the mile circuit. And it's really, really effective. (laughs) So like anybody that comes in and I have them and they're like, Oh, I've been in labor for two days, please just admit me. And you know, they're like, why am I only two send me or something like, go check out this mile circuit and do this mile circuit and then come back (laughs) and you might Mm -hmm. be in
0: labor. (laughs) Exactly. And that's the thing I could be all about baby position. And I know I was listening, um, I'm a huge spinning babies fan and I heard oh. that you had Gail on yes. um, listen to that episode. Just
1: so she knows everything. I yeah. swear.
0: <laughs> and that's another, I find that's another thing I tell clients that sometimes it could be do spinning babies or yeah, the mile circuit yeah. that it could just be just doing a few things that just might help baby get into a, you know, a position and then labor takes off a little bit more. So I'm so glad right. that you, you give people something that that can be helpful yeah. Um, cause then that gives them like, okay, I've got something I can do that, that could help things move along. Yeah. Um, yeah. now in terms of, I know it will be different every hospital, even here where I am in Peterborough. And then previously I was in Toronto and there were much bigger hospitals is people are curious how many patients as a labor and delivery nurse, how many patients do you, um, attend to at one time typically?
1: Yeah. So at my hospital, I, I really, I can't, say like my, I have a great, I have, I work in a great unit, no great hospital. And we're very conscientious about staffing and safety in terms of staffing. So if somebody is uh, actively laboring, so, you know, they're past that admission point, they're actively but laboring or if they have an epidural, or if they're being induced, um, or if they're very high risk for like another reason, then it is always one to one. Unless for some reason, I mean, I have had two patients before who were being kind of being induced, like early on in the stages when it was like crazy, crazy busy. But we really try to avoid that if at all possible, um, because it's not only it doesn't only help the patient out; it helps me out too, as a nurse, like I just get to, you know, use all of my time and energy on you. I don't have to think about hopping back and forth from one person's room and getting confused. Like, Oh wait, I just, wait, was this, this person I needed this for or this, but you know, so that's how we do. Um, if somebody's laboring, like you're and you're on the labor and delivery floor. Now, if you are in the hospital and you're pregnant for a different reason, let's say you have high blood pressure or you Break your water really, really early and you're not quite laboring, but you still need to be hospitalized. That can be, it's a little bit different ratio. It's usually one to three or one to four. So it's kind of more like a med surge kind of thing, (laughs) you know, if you're familiar with staffing with med surge stuff. But um, it's, you know, we still kind of like to keep that low because if you think about it, I mean, everybody is kind of a ticking time bomb. <laughs> I, you know, when you're pregnant in the hospital, like I, I've, I've had plenty of preterm patients on, you know, labor and delivery on apartum unit and you think that they're fine and they can be one to two or one to three. And then all of a sudden they go into reporting labor and they need all of my attention. So we really, when somebody, you know, gets to that point and they're higher risk, they're being induced, they're in active labor. It's usually one-to-one.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I Which think that's great. super helpful <laughs> yeah. yeah, for people to hear. And I would say here that that typically is what happens as well. Yeah. And yeah, labor just, it can be unpredictable. So it makes sense for that sure. sometimes you may have more than one that you're attending to just because of of like what's going on with everyone. But I think it's helpful that people hear like really, oftentimes you will have that one-to-one um, nurse in terms of yeah. helping.
1: Yeah, um, and I mean, that's not to say sometimes... I will have a patient who has a whole lot of support in the room and she doesn't need me at, at, you know, X, Y, Z or whatever, or she got an epidural and she just wants to take a nap and I can kind of step out of the room for a long time. And I'm able to go to somebody else's delivery or somebody else needs help with something Um, that happens quite frequently where somebody's delivering and like other nurses are helping. So we kind of are like, We have one patient and then we're all kind of, kind of looking out for each other as well. Cause sometimes, sometimes you need more than one nurse when uh, you're taking care of a patient.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Oh, something's going on. (laughs) Yeah. And then how is it with, um, uh, like attending a midwife birth versus a physician? So an OB or a GP, because I know here as well, that can be different, um, in terms of how much the nurse is involved with the care. So how is it where you are?
1: Yeah, so, right currently I actually only work with physicians. I have worked with a few midwives very early on in my career. Um and really I guess the main difference is that midwives are typically a little bit more active in um their patients care, so they're coming in and checking on their patients a whole lot more. But in terms of the roles um i mean midwives still do the deliveries and ob's do the deliveries and you know they're i mean provider you know ob's check on their patients frequently too but it's pretty similar um but i would say my role as a labor and delivery nurse is a little bit less if i'm work if you're working like with a midwife
0: mhm yeah, yeah i would say it's it's very similar here like yeah. i feel like the midwife almost is, More hands on. <laughs> yeah, and playing the role like they do so much paperwork as well, which is a question yes. for you because a lot of people aren't aware of how much Ugh. as a nurse you do. <laughs> um, and I know it's not the favorite part of your role, um, but no, yeah, midwives <laughs> are doing so much. They're doing like the paperwork, and then also they're doing a lot of different roles. So it's yeah, it's good to hear kind of how similar that is as well.
1: Yeah. Um.
0: And so yeah, the paperwork. I tell clients about this because I think sometimes people assume the nurse is going to be able to do um, like comfort measures the whole time and Uh doing a lot of the hands-on. But, and as much as I know a lot of L&D nurses here want to, there is so much paperwork and checking vitals and all of that. So I was wondering if you could share a bit about that side of your role.
1: Yeah. So unfortunately there is a lot of paperwork involved with being a nurse in whatever kind of role that in whatever kind of nurse you are, whatever kind of unit, there's so much more paperwork than there ever used to be. And we're getting better at it because it's most hospitals nowadays are going over to electronic. Um, Everything's electronic. So it's like, click, 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 but it's still a lot. Um, So I, it kind of depends on the type of patient that I have. So if I have just a low risk Mom who's laboring, she doesn't have an epidural, she's not being induced or anything um, I just have to chart on her. I have to look at if she's on the monitor if she's on continuous monitoring, I have to chart on her every thirty minutes, and just make sure that her baby's okay um and you know chart that in you know in it's called epic that we use, but in the computer um if she is doing intermittent monitoring, then I really just have to chart on her once an hour it's it that's not too bad now. If once we're getting closer to kind of pushing, it ramps up a little bit. So I'm charting on her every five to 15 minutes sometimes, which can be really difficult if you're, if you're pushing with a patient and you're the only one, only nurse in there. A lot of times if we're not busy, that's what's great about having like a helper. If you have a patient who's pushing for a really, really long time so they can do those five minute um, charts like they can be in charge of the charting and I can be in charge of like helping the patient push and pushing with the patient. But yeah, every five minutes for, um, for pushing. And then afterwards there's a lot of stuff that we just, I mean, obviously, you know, you chart every time that you give any kind of medication, I chart any time you get up and, you know, go to the bathroom or to a position change, or sometimes, you know, we have to be really careful if you say, you know, oh, I refuse this, you know, uh, I disagree with this or, uh, you know, I have to just kind of make a nursing note of like patient refuses X, Y, Z, whatever it is. So we just kind of have to like cover our our butts in like a lot of different ways. Um, But yeah, it's a lot, it's a lot of charting. I wish, I wish there was like a magic elf or something that that sat on my, sat on my computer and just like, charted everything that I needed to chart, but there's not. They haven't invented those yet. Um, So I still have to do everything because, yeah, I would love to just be there for you and not have to sign into the computer at all. I love when when we're not busy and I have somebody who is able to help me, you know, with charting and I'm really able to be more hands-on. Or honestly, that's the that's a real great advantage of having a lot of support in your delivery room or a lot of, um, or a doula in your delivery room. They're kind of being that person for you and being more of that hands-on person. So if I do have a lot of stuff that I have to chart, I have to give medications or I have to, you know, do my nursing kind of stuff. They're there to kind of take that on instead of me like hopping back in, in between all of these roles. But you know, this, it's a still part of, everything that we do. So it's a lot of, it's a lot of charting, unfortunately, but yeah, it's gotta be done. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that's helpful for people to hear. And I love that you brought up, you know, about working together with a doula and how you feel that that can be so helpful. So I'm curious, kind of what have been some of your experiences when you do have, you know, clients come in with a doula, kind of how does that work together as a team?
1: Yeah, so of course you're going to have positive and negative. Um, I would say ninety percent of the doulas that I've come into contact with have been overwhelmingly overwhelmingly positive and really just focused on being there for the patient and not kind of getting like not crossing boundaries. Um, so they're doing a lot of hit the hands on stuff. They're not doing any sort of medical care. They know their, their roles and they know what my roles are. Um, but every once in a while, you know, you have those 10% of doulas who it's really honestly more often the doulas who are older and they're kind of old school and they cross a little bit of medical boundaries. Or sometimes what I have an issue with is they try to speak for patients. So, you know, and I, and I'm you know, we're, we look out for that kind of stuff, regardless of if it's your doula speaking for you or your partner or, or your mom or whoever, like, you know, it's not, you know, we want to help advocate, you advocate for yourself, but we don't want somebody to speak for you. So yeah, sometimes that happens where somebody's crossing a boundary or they, you know, the provider says, oh, we recommend, you know, maybe this happening. And the doula's like, no, 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 she doesn't want this or no, 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 no. Like, this X Y Z, or she, you know, wants to do this, and you kind of have to say, okay, like let's let the patient kind of decide what she wants to do, you know. Um, but like I said, ninety percent of them, great, they know their roles. We're just hel- kind of helping each other, and they're just there to really support their patients.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's so great, and yeah, it's that there can be such a team dynamic, and it yes. is helpful to have those support people because I. I think, yeah. Again, it's helpful for people to know that as a nurse, you may not necessarily be there the whole time. That you'll be right. in and out, and shift changes and things happening. So, having someone who's that continuous support um, right. and how that can help you as a nurse too, in right. terms of your role. Or hey, yeah. if we want to take, I mean,
1: counterpressure, <laughs> you got to use a lot of muscles to do counterpressure. So, I mean, if you have a doula who's helping we me with. Um, uh, a counter pressure. (laughs) Like we're taking turns. Um, that thank you, Jula. I appreciate that.
0: My muscles are a little bit sore. Yeah. (laughs) We're kind of helping each other out. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say what, um, when you, when you do do comfort measures, which ones do you find you typically kind of go to, to help, uh, with clients? Uh, it kind
1: of depends on what they, what's going on counter pressure is great a lot of people love that counter pressure where you're taking both of your hands either on the sides of your hips and kind of squeezing or you're taking both hands and kind of pushing um on like right on the middle lower of their back and just kind of you know as they're having a contraction pushing pushing hard and some people really like that and and you know react like they they love that and they want that with every single contraction but it's tough for somebody to do it with their arms with every single contraction. Um, so that's a good one. Um, I recommend a lot of the times just doing lots of different position changes. You know, sometimes I have a patient come in and they say, I just want to stay in the bed. I don't want to tell like, don't move me. I just want to, you know, stay here. So I try to say, okay, let's try and move positions, whether it's you squatting or whether it's, you you know, let's get up and go to the bathroom or, you know, let's do this. Try to do that about every 30 minutes. Um, Let me see. There's, we love the peanut balls. um, Not so much for moms trying to kind of go natural, but we love the peanut balls for epidural moms to kind of put that. It's like a big, basically a big blow a ball that looks like a peanut. You're probably familiar with Oh, them. I'm a huge <laughs> fan
0: of those. Yeah. They're so amazing. Yeah. So, especially for epidural. So yeah.
1: Yeah. We love the peanut balls. Honestly, one, I like the peanut balls, but one of the positions in the hospital that I like even more than the peanut ball is you can call it a few different things, but I call it the fire hydrant position where you get a stirrup up and you just kind of put their leg up in the stirrup instead of resting on a ball. Cause it kind of gets it a little bit higher and more stable. Um, and you, but you do the exact same thing. It's like a side-lying position mm-hmm. with one of your legs up and up in the stirrup. Um, but yeah, lots and lots of position changes. I'm like, blame. I'm there's tons of other stuff that I've done with patients. Um, Oh, one of the things I love to do too is make a, so if a patient doesn't have, I'm sure you're familiar with rebozos and Mm. how they kind of work, you know, during, during birth is basically like a scarf kind of thing. Um, So doing like a makeshift rebozo with a sheet and, you know, let's say somebody is on hands and knees and they need like a little bit of abdominal kind of lift underneath. I'm kind of over them with, you know, the hospital sheet sheet kind of like lifting their belly. A lot of people really, really like that. Um, but yeah, there's, there's tons of stuff. Sometimes somebody, you know, somebody's like, oh, can you just like rub my hand or like, or, you know, or like massage my back or something. So I'd kind of take, you know, take what they, you know, say, um, and do it. So I'm just kind of you're, you know, there for you,
0: whatever, whatever, you, whatever you tell me to do, I'll try and do it. <laughs> That's amazing. That's so helpful (laughs) for people here getting that support, right? And having someone hear what they need. And um, yeah, that's fantastic. All the different.
1: Yeah, no, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I thought of one other, like a big, big thing that I think we do is um, keep positivity in the room and just, uh, uh, there's so many times when somebody will say something like, I can't do this anymore. I can't, you know, and you're just, reassuring them that yes, you know, or like maybe try this or, you know what, let's just get through this next contraction. Just take one contraction at a time. You're just kind of like mentally coaching them a lot too. That is a big, big role that I play and just like reminding them to breathe and like, okay, breathe a little bit slower. You just kind of need that person who's not in labor and not your partner. Who's like a little, sometimes a little bit crazy because they're about to have a baby. You just kind of need that person who's, you know, there and just kind of reminding you to, okay, you're doing this. You're going to get through it. It's going to
0: be over eventually. Yeah. Oh, I think that's so helpful. Yeah. To have someone. And also you have seen birth. Yeah. many, many, many times, as opposed to a partner who right. is emotionally involved, like, but whoa. also hasn't <laughs> gone through it. Yeah, right. yeah, that right. you're kind of that grounding, right person, support person. That's fantastic. Um, and I was curious, too, I know a lot of people um, have questions about and they don't really know what it's like until they're in it. But for individuals, mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons, they may choose to have an epidural. Yeah. Um, what is kind of how how do you talk to clients about that kind of ahead of time or kind of how do you play a role in the epidural being administered? Yeah. So we don't actually administer the
1: epidurals, of course, the anesthesiologists come in and do that. Um, But we, so if somebody comes in and they say, hey, you know what, Liesl, I think I want to get an epidural during, you know, at some point I say, okay, great. And so I kind of at that point um, let them know, pre-procedure kind of stuff. Okay. You know, let me know when you're not getting, when you're at the point of you're having regular contractions, but you're not quite like want to punch somebody in the face. You don't want to wait that long before you ask for an epidural. Let me know kind of when you're thinking about, you know, getting one. Sometimes they have a lot of questions about that too. Like, oh, I don't know if it's the right time. Should I wait longer? Should I get one now? Blah, blah, blah. So we kind of have to guide them and say, okay, maybe, you know, I, you know what, I think it is a good time for you to get up, a girl. Or, you know what, your contractions aren't quite close enough. Like, let's see if we can wait a little bit longer, or you know whatnot. Or, so I kind of tell them about pre-pre procedure kind of things. Okay, once you ask for one, it's usually going to take about an hour for, you know, from point A when you ask for one to point B, you being like 100% comfortable in a, you know, in a perfect situation. So I say, okay once you ask for one we're going to hook your iv up and give you a whole lot of fluid through your iv for the per- for the procedure that's usually the longest part that's going to take 20 30 minutes for it to run through your iv cuz that's you know a- That's that's usually the longest thing um, that you're going to have to wait for in terms of getting an epidural. So we do that. We need to make sure that your blood's drawn and that your platelets are okay, because that's a really important thing to know for the anesthesiologist, that you can clot your blood effectively. Um, And then I say, okay, and then, you know, you might see me kind of coming in and out of your room a few times, because there's just a lot of stuff that the anesthesiologist needs, so I have to go collect the medication that they need and the stuff they need to you know place the epidural in your back and just all this random other stuff so we do all that we kind of get prepped and I kind of tell them that kind of before it's happening and then once they say okay Liesl you know I'm ready to get my epidural then kind of remind them okay okay let's get your fluid started all right I'm gonna be in and out of the room a few times so then once it's, you want all your fluids in and, you know, your blood counts okay. And I have all my supplies and we're ready to go. Then I call the anesthesiologist and I say, okay, I have a patient who, you know, would like an epidural. Can you come up to room, you know, so-and-so this is her health history, blah, blah, blah. And at the hospital that I work at, we always have anesthesia on call. So it's really usually only a few minutes that you have to wait. Sometimes there might be a delay if you you know, if you're at a smaller hospital, maybe you have to call anesthesia in from home. I would assume that the nurse would call anesthesia kind of earlier in the game, like <laughs> when, you know, before like that time period of like, we need one right now, but there might be a delay there in case like it's the middle of the night and you need to get a hold of anesthesia. So anesthesia comes up, they talk to you for a few minutes, they do a little assessment and then they do the the procedure. I'm just kind of taking your vital signs frequently and I'm charting, you know, key things that they're telling me, dosages of medications. I'm kind of just like, you know, taking notes the whole time, making sure that you're staying nice and still. If, you know, sometimes you're having contractions during the procedure. So I kind of just have to say, okay, try and stay as still and as curved over as possible, you know, um, breathe with you, that sort of thing. You're kind of, usually with epidurals, you're sitting on the side of the bed. So I kind of have to always be right there for safety, too, just to, because God knows, I mean, people have fallen off the bed before, so <laughs> that's why we stay right there, but yeah, that's pretty much my role. I'm just kind of help our person, and then laying you back down. Um, at my hospital, we, um, we don't write, you know, what the order is going to be, but we set up, like, the little Pump for your uh, epidural to infuse sometimes other hospitals, the anesthesiologist does that, but we do that at my hospital so yeah that's that's pretty much it, mm-hmm. <laughs> I would say. Yeah. and then charting afterwards, obviously.
0: yes, all that part. and I yeah. t- have you had uh, many times where partners or support people are in the room, and yeah, maybe they're not doing so well during yeah. that. Yeah. Yes,
1: so we always tell patients um and this is my hospital. I guess it might be different at some other hospitals, but my hospital we have a hospital policy that like every dad or partner or whoever mom you wants to be in there has to sit in a chair on the other side of the room like in front of you like kind of where i am because yes there have been people who i think there this is what they tell me this might be an urban legend i don't i haven't looked it up but they tell me this is what all the anesthesia anesthesia um care team members have said that okay you know this policy is in place because there was some guy in california that he was standing up and he saw the the you know procedure and he passed out and he hit his head on the side of the table and he died <laughs> so like oh. we can't yeah so like everybody needs to sit down so i don't you know again that might be I, that might be an urban legend i don't know but that's what they tell me and that's the reason why um somebody needs to sit down i've never knock on mama, knock on wood right now i've never had anybody pass out in the chair <laughs> <laughs> but i have had people pass out like during the actual birth after, you know, after baby comes out, Um, but not during the epidural. But yes, sometimes it's like, and that, I think that there's that safety too, that you're kind of on the other side of the bed. If dad's kind of sitting on the side that the procedure is being placed with this big, large needle, sometimes you get a little queasy. So that's why we have them just be away from, you know, from the procedure and sitting down.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great precaution. The sitting yeah. down, just in case, because you never know. In terms of yeah. if you've never seen it before, and yeah, sure. yeah. No, I think that's super helpful. Um, oh my gosh, there's so many things I would love to talk to you about in no, terms you're of labor through experience. It's great. Um, and so I'm curious. In terms of, do you mind sharing a bit about your son's birth? Because I know you've mentioned yeah. that it was a very positive experience. And then, kind of after sharing that, kind of a little bit, you know, when you went back to work. Um. afterwards, yeah. did how you felt or your experience being an L&D nurse, did anything kind of change after your own experience?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I gave birth to my son. I think you said it in, in my bio, but I gave birth to my son at the same hospital that I work at. And I had a wonderful experience. I prepped for a natural birth and not, you know, I really wanted to try and avoid an epidural if I could, just for my own personal reasons. And so I um, came in, I had about, I was laboring at home for a while, and I came in at about 9 p.m., and I delivered him right at 3 a.m. on the dot. So I was there for about six hours, you know, laboring, like hard laboring with my with my nurse. So I came in, um, my nurse that, you know, shout out to Beth, <laughs> my nurse who took care of me. She's now one of my managers, actually, but she took care of me. She did such an, like, I can't even explain to you how, how that role that she played during my birth and like how important it was and how I felt like I really, truly could not have done that without her. Like I just, she just helped me with so many position changes and she just helped me kind of assure, you know, me that I could do it. There were some, there was a time at the very end when I was about a nine and a half centimeters. And I was just like, Beth, I can't do this anymore. Like I'm done. Like I, like I need to get an epidural. I, I just, it's, it, this is way too intense. Like I just, I can't do this anymore. And she really, really got me through it and was like, okay, I know, you know, your baby's probably, you know, a little bit turned funky in there. Cause I was like nine and a half for a little while. And so she, you know, helped me kind of get past that point mentally and physically. And yeah, I mean, I just, I felt such a a warm sense of support from her. And it was just so, you know, when I finally delivered, it was just so great. And I was just, you know, on cloud nine, it was, it was amazing. So afterwards, you know, having that kind of birth and just having almost that, they I talked about this with Gail in my podcast, but she she referenced like orgasmic birth. And people say, oh, an orgasmic birth, you think of like a sexual kind of thing. She's like, no, orgasmic birth is just you feeling that like elatedness and that like high. I'm like, oh, I guess I kind of had an orgasmic birth. (laughs) So I had such an amazing birth with her, um, you know, with my nurse Beth and giving birth to my son that I came back to the hospital. I came back full time initially, or I think I was three quarter time, almost full time. And yeah, it just completely changed my practice because I not only could emphasize with patients more and say, okay, I actually know how bad this hurts. Like I just went through this three months ago. <laughs> um, so I could kind of or like relate to them on that level. But I also realized how Important Beth was to me, and now how important I am to my patients. So it just kind of gave me a different a different viewpoint, um, and that's kind of you know that's how I've looked at my role you know in labor and delivery kind of kind of since then.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, that's so amazing, and that yeah. you know I feel like your patients I'm sure totally appreciate kind of hearing that afterwards because it gives them a, again another layer of support of right. what they're going through. Right. Yeah. Right. Um. And so what would be, what would be three recommendations that you would give expecting parents who are preparing for birth?
1: Yeah. So number one, and this is my, what my whole brand is about is educate yourself. Okay. Going into the birth process, it's going to help you take away that fear factor, that anxiety that you might have, especially if this is your first time. Um, But educating yourself is going to do you so, so much good. And I mean, we've not only seen that it takes away fear, but it helps to have more positive birth experiences. So even if something goes wrong and you know, things don't always go to plan when, when we're talking about birth, even if something goes wrong by educating yourself about all of these possible outcomes, you might be a little bit more prepared for it. And you might not walk away from that as trauma. And, you know, you might walk away from it as like, okay, that was just a change and I'm not traumatized by it. So it helps to decrease birth trauma, helps to, you know, make you feel more in control and, you know, decrease your anxiety. So I cannot stress that enough to number one, absolutely educate yourself. I have a course, there's courses out there, there's hospital courses, there's a lot of stuff you can read on the internet, obviously, but keep educating yourself about birth. Absolutely. So that's my number one. Number two, I already kind of referenced it, but obviously birth, you know, can be sometimes stuff is happening that you're not, you know, you didn't anticipate for, right? So sometimes baby might kind of drop his heart rate. And, you know, we have to do all this stuff to kind of get it back up. Or, you know, maybe you thought you were going to be laboring in the tub the whole time, but you decided, no, that doesn't feel so great. I'm going to labor in the bed or whatever. So my next kind of tip is to Go into that and realize that birth is very flexible, and to be flexible and not to be, not to look at birth as like a plan of like, this is what's gonna happen, this, this is what's gonna happen. Kind of, you know, kind of like look at it as a loose plan, okay? But you wanna be flexible, kind of one way or the other. And then my last one is all about advocacy, okay? And it's okay to speak up if for some reason you feel like, you know, your provider's not treating you the right way, or you feel like your nurse is not, you know, the best fit for you, or you just feel like this doesn't feel right. It's okay to speak up and ask questions. We want to, you know, a good provider is going to want to answer your questions and want to get to the bottom of stuff and, you know, not going to want to make you feel uncomfortable. So yeah, it's okay to speak up. That's my last one.
0: That, oh, I love those three, <laughs> that I think is amazing. And hearing that from a labor and delivery nurse, I feel like it's yeah. so helpful. Um, do you end up talking about BRAIN, like the acronym BRAIN, the benefits, risks, alternatives? Have you heard that before?
1: Is, I haven't, no, yeah, <laughs> educate so, me. <laughs> yeah,
0: so it's, it's a really neat um, acronym that I had heard and I talked to clients about it. And I find it's nice, it's, I find an easier way to ask questions during labor Yeah. So the idea of, you know, the partner or the person laboring, the idea of asking, like, you know, if something is recommended or suggested, they could ask what are the benefits, the risks, the alternatives, Mm. like, what does your intuition say? And do you need more time? And I find it's a neat way just to ask those questions. And I always tell clients, it's not like, you can ask questions. And so I'm glad you you brought that up, that it's not that you're questioning what's going on, but it's like, you just want more information. And if it's not an emergency... Then right. people are able to give that, so then it can lead back to what you talked about—a more positive experience. Right. Um, exactly. Because then you got. I love some that. Answers. Yeah. Mm, I
1: like that. I'm gonna look that up. Yeah. No, yeah. I just I did a whole section in my in my course, when I updated it about advocacy. And one of the key things that I said was like, it is okay to ask questions. And if you're confused, you know, sometimes people are like, I don't know how to advocate by myself. What does that even mean? It's really just, you know, you know what, just keep asking. If something's making you uncomfortable, you don't really feel, you know, great about it. Just keep asking why, you know, why exactly does that need to happen? Oh, because of this and because of this and because of this. But, but why is that? Need to, You know, just keep asking, and eventually you will either start to really understand what the provider's trying to tell you and why this is beneficial, and you'll agree, and you'll say, okay, I get that, um, you know, let's go for it, or you'll start to understand, you'll say, you know what? I don't think that's for me. Or you know what, can we not do that right now? And maybe, you know, reassess them a little while. So that's, that's what I say in that. But I like that brain thing. I'm gonna put that in there. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, no, I love that you added that in your course. And we definitely want to talk about that. Because, um, yeah, I just think it's, it's super helpful to hear. And I love how you said, like the education. And I think there's kind of two sides. I know some people like to go into birth and, because hearing how you can't how you said you can't control birth you cannot right. plan birth that sometimes i think the thought is well then i'm not going to learn anything or not really prepare because right like it may go out the window and right. i talk about like how you said like educate on all the options even the options that you you're kind of anticipating isn't going to happen but right. the thing is they might happen so yeah, having yeah. that education and then it really allows you to like surrender once you're in it Because then you're really educated on all the ways birth could go. Um, So I'm totally on board with all those recognitions were excellent.
1: Good. glad you liked them
0: (laughs) yeah yeah um and so I'd love for you to share a bit more again about your Instagram um, account also your amazing podcast and your uh, online courses because once this one comes out your uh, prenatal online course will be relaunched again I know you updated it yes so yeah share all about them please Yeah. yeah it
1: comes out on Monday so I don't (laughs) know when this is going to air but it will already be out so I'm deep in it right now making you know last minute kind of detail kind of changes right now but my courses, I do, I have kind of referenced them a little bit throughout this podcast, but my courses are at uh, mommylabornurse.teachable.com, and I have one that is more kind of tailored towards a mom who would want to go a little bit more natural, not getting an epidural, Um, but we do talk about epidurals in that one too, and other kind of forms of pain management, Um, and then I have another course which is for a mom who says, I, you know what? I definitely think I want to get an epidural. There's no like, uh, maybe, maybe it's like, no, I, I, I know going into my birth that I want to get an epidural. I just want birth education. We have a course. I have a course for um, those types of women too. So it kind of, I'm kind of covering the bases. And we talk about C sections obviously in both courses because, of course, sometimes things happen, and you know you're going to get a C section, so I prepare you kind of, you know, in all realms. But yeah, very proud of them. They are newly updated if you're listening to this. They're out. Um, and they I worked really hard on them. I just redid all the videos. I did, I put in some new um new lessons and just updated the resource page a whole lot updated, you know, a lot, a lot of the lessons. So yeah, very proud of them. That's where they are at mommylabornurse.teachable.com if you want to check them out. And then of course my Instagram is just mommy.labornurse. And I do lots of, um, fun little posts on there <laughs> and educational posts. But yeah, I post every day during the week, unless I really have something going on. And then I do one, the, one of the things that people really love about my Instagram is I do a Q and A's on Sundays. So, you know, I'll have people submit questions and I'll just take a handful of questions and answer questions, um, on, on Sundays. So we do that on Instagram and then, yeah, my podcast came out, uh, I don't know, six months ago, something like that last year. And that is just kind of an extension of everything of my Instagram of, you know, my blog of my quick courses of everything. And I get to come on and interview people, you know, expert interviews, or do I do birth stories on there too? I'll have people in and entail, tell their different birth stories, or it's just me doing a Q and a of, a kind of a similar Q and A that I would do on Sunday, but I'm just elaborating a lot more because Instagram is short. Those, you know, those clips are only 15 seconds long sometimes. So you can't elaborate on a subject. So sometimes I want to do a whole episode where I'm really diving deep and answering questions. So yeah. And the, mo- the podcast, it's just the Mobby Labor Nurse podcast. If you, if you're on, yeah, I think it's on Apple and Google Play or something, you know, it's on both, both Android and, and iPhone. <laughs>
0: Awesome. Yeah. And I've listened to them. They're fantastic. So we are going to put all those links in the show notes. And definitely, yeah, your prenatal online course, I loved. Um, When you launched it, I think it was a little over a year ago, eh? Yes. The first? Yeah. Just a tiny little over a year ago. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I remember when it came out and I, like, found you on Instagram. And even though, like, I had done, I had had my second baby just before then. But I was like, I love going through courses to be able to then recommend them. And so I went through it, loved it. I recommend it. And it's also in my... Uh, My online bump to birth course about preparing the pelvic floor for birth. It's one of my top recommended online childbirth education because I really think you go through, you know, all the steps and so many components, including, you know, even baby positioning, all these things that I don't think people, you know, you don't know what you don't know going into birth. And so I think you do an awesome job. So I'm super excited to see your kind of updated version, they're going to be excellent.
1: Yeah. It just looks a lot more professional. I feel like, you know, that one, it was my first one and I just, the information was great, right? Like it was just like so chocked full of like amazing information, but it's just, I did the videos on my iPhone and like, I don't know anything about video editing. So like, it was just lower quality, you know, sound quality and all you know, this stuff and you know, some over the past year I've learned stuff and I've learned about resources And I've learned, you know, that, oh, I want to add this section or whatever. So I've kind of added to it. But, yeah, I'm excited for the launch. Um, I think people are really, really going to like the, you know, the makeover that Birth It Up got.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Excellent. Well, yeah, we will definitely put all of that into the show notes. And thank you so much, Liesl, for being on. I know people are going to love this episode, all the info that you shared. Yeah. And um, definitely, if you're not already following Liesl on Instagram, definitely head over there Mm because you're going to learn so much information and your posts are just so fun to follow along with as well. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me.